Good morning, Bethel Church. I trust everyone is well today and had a great celebration of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ over the last week. Amen. Amen. I mean, it was wonderful to have four services for our Christmas Eve celebration. And uh, we had nearly almost 4,000 people come through here. Let's, that's, let's give God praise for that. That's, that's awesome. That is awesome. And, uh, you know, when you see that many people and, and have the opportunity to hear the gospel go out with power, I thought that that was just a really good testimony to what the Lord is doing and can do and will do uh, for the sake of the gospel. So we give God praise for that. We are thankful for that today. Uh, how many people ate too much over the holiday? I mean, you know, amen, amen. Some hands went up. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But I hope the food was good. That's right. That's important. You know, if you're going to overeat, you at least got to be tasty, right? <laughs> so that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I had a good good opportunity to share with with family and friends, and um, and my wife was very mindful that I did not overeat. So that was always good. Amen. Amen. She says she doesn't want to see the day when you know um, uh, at night you know she rolls towards me involuntarily because I'm <laughs> a little uneven there. So. <laughs> so that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We're grateful to God today. And today we want to share with you uh, just a, uh, for a few moments uh, from this thought, imitating the incarnation, imitating the incarnation. Now, if you've been a part of Bethel Church or, uh, over the last few weeks, you know that Pastor Steve has been preaching uh, a dynamic series of messages uh, on the incarnation. And if you're here for the first time, or, or perhaps uh, you might even be uh, one who has not received Christ as your Savior, I recommend that you go to our website and listen to those messages because uh, he just did a fantastic job of sharing uh, the meaning of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It was almost like Pastor Steve was a, was a surgeon and he was kind of uh, cutting away the, the, the things in our hearts and, and the gospel was just getting into us. And, and uh, those deep theological insights he imparted uh, during that series so that our hearts really became overjoyed. I know this is how I felt personally. My heart was just overjoyed with the understanding, an appreciation, perhaps a greater understanding and more appreciation of Emmanuel, what it means, what, what it means for God to be with us. And, and amen, amen. God with us. I mean, what a concept. What a wonderful, powerful concept that God would come and be with us. And, you know, when you really think about who us really is, and, and who we really are, then you wonder, you're, you're even marvel even more at the fact that God would even want to come and be with us. Uh, but what a wonderful concept that we heard over the last few weeks. Um, yet, as I was listening, though, to Pastor Steve's messages about incarnation, each message filled me with a hunger to know if or how I might imitate Christ so that unbelievers would be filled with the desire to, to really know this wonderful God that became us in order to save us. And I thought about the idea of what it means to imitate Christ, 
to imitate Christ. I thought about what does that really mean to imitate him? How could I uh, successfully and righteously imitate Jesus? And, you know, when you think about it, the connotation of imitation is, is really sometimes not good. Sometimes we think of imitation, we first thing comes to mind is inauthentic or, or fake. And, um, you know, this is very important. And a lot of men might have found that out over the Christmas holidays when you bought that gift. You don't want a fake. Not a zircon, the real thing. You want her face to light up and say, he went to Jarrett. <laughs> That's right. You can't come home and say, hey, honey, this purse looks just like a Michael Kors. (laughs) You know, (laughs) no, it has to be the real thing. So so sometimes the connotation of imitation is is just kind of negative. But but uh, when I when I look at at that a little more closely and reviewed it a little more closely, the actual definition of the word imitate that I discovered that, you know, dictionary dot com is very helpful. The word imitate has several meanings. And one of them that caught my eye is that to imitate means to follow or endeavor to follow as a model or example. And I said, wow, that's, that's great. To imitate really means to follow or to endeavor to follow as a model or example. Uh, it, it would be like almost imitating an author's style if you're a writer. You know, you're writing as, as a way another author writes. Or you would be imitating an older sibling, brother or sister. Now, if you're like me, I was the oldest, so I got a chance to make all the mistakes for them to follow. That's right. <laughs> so, so, you, you know, it's, it's imitation is really about following the model or example of the one that went before you or goes before you. Now, the Bible illustrates this principle of, illustri- of imitation in several places. Perhaps even much more than we would think this ideal, this concept of imitation uh, is, is outlined in Scripture. The Greek word for imitate uh, in the following Scripture passages that we're going to talk about is mimetes. It's mimetes. That Greek word means imitate or it's translated as imitate. The first passage is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Where the apostle writes, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Well, how many of us would really want people to be imitators of us? You know, maybe on Sunday, not so much during the week. (laughs) So be imitators of me. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, the apostle writes again in that same letter to the church at Corinth. He says, be imitators of me. As I am of Christ. Now he's connecting, not just imitate me, but also imitate me as I imitate Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he writes these words. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And so the concept there is imitating God. And then 1 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verse 6, we read these words. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And so, again, the concept of imitation. First 
Thessalonians chapter 2 in that same letter. Verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And so you get this concept again of imitation. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Verse 12 says, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So again, connecting us to this idea that we can imitate those who are before us, who set good examples before us, even as we endeavor to live this Christian life. So it seems here that the New Testament demonstrates the value of imitation in regard to believers who live as examples of Christ and of imitating Jesus himself. And so we're called to imitate those who live as examples of Jesus, and we're called to imitate Christ himself. So in other words, this word Christian now takes on a very serious meaning. Christian equals Christ-like or like Christ. And that's very important because we are to imitate Christ in our daily lives. And if we're to do so, then we must evaluate how we are doing in our efforts to accomplish this. Now, here's a bold, bold thought, a bold question for you. Are we doing what Jesus did or are we making up stuff and calling it mission in order to appease ourselves. Now that's a tough but a fair question in light of how unbelievers view Christianity and Christians in contemporary culture. Some of you have seen this craziness about this Duck Dynasty business. Yeah, just throw your hand up real fast if you've seen it. And it's it, it never ceases to amaze me that when Christians or when people stand up for the word of God, often contemporary culture views that as such a negative. And sometimes it, it makes us feel like we should just be in this little box and not talk about our faith or what we believe that God is saying. And, and a lot of times we get this idea that, that or, the, or the world gives this idea that Christians somehow are not being genuine because we stand on the word of God. And yet we are called to do just that. But the challenge for us in the Christian community is to make sure that we are not just talking God's word, but we are actually living God's word. There's a praiseworthy moment right there. Right there. We have to move from conversation about the word with our mouths and our words to conversation with our lives. And so, so these are things that we have to realize about how we're viewed in contemporary culture. St. Francis of Assisi once said, uh, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. 
author and songwriter Kevin Max says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. Those who acknowledge Jesus with their lips walk out of the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. How is it that we can profess Christ in here and walk out of here and deny him with our lifestyle? Therein lies our challenge. You know, we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Well, as I've said many times before, when we come in here, this is like the salt shaker. And when we leave here, that salt gets sprinkled out into the world. Now, what happens is, is that whatever happens in here that's good and righteous and worthy needs to be translated from in here to out there. And it starts when you hit that door. It starts when you get up out of your seat that we reflect the glory of God that we celebrate in here. Pastor and author Kevin DeYoung, he says this, the world needs to see Christians burning, not with self-righteous fury at the sliding morals in our country, but burning with passion for God. Oh, what would it be if we had a passionate on fire, burning church for Jesus Christ. Yes, we can be upset with the morals that are happening, the sliding morals of our country, but the the cure for that is people living passionately for God before the world. With this information, we journey to the necessary conclusion that in order to reestablish the type of church that pleases God and to become the type of believers that also please God, we must look closely at those of us who populate the body of Christ. It is not feasible to address the ills of the modern Christian community without addressing the modern Christian. In doing so, I have one simple question for us. Are we as believers effectively imitating the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Are we effectively imitating the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Now, of course, we cannot start as God, become human, and at the same time remain God. In our case, imitating the incarnation means to follow the example of Christ, to follow him in purpose and in actions. We set our hearts and our minds to purposely be like Jesus. In order to follow Jesus in purpose and actions, then we must understand exactly what it is he came to earth to do. Now, Luke writes of this in his description of what happened that day in the synagogue located in Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus. Imagine the scene. Jesus gets up, reads from the scroll of the book of Isaiah and declares his purpose for incarnating himself into human flesh. And you've heard this scripture perhaps many times before. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me 
Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What a wonderful, wonderful description of our Lord's ministry. What he came here to do. So here are a few observations to remember as we consider the true mission of the incarnation. Jesus speaks of being anointed by the spirit of God. That qualifies him because he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. There's a qualification that happens with the, with the power of the Holy Spirit over him. He speaks of proclaiming good news to the poor. Mark that in your Bible. Good news to the poor. The gospel is the effective instrument of his purpose. We have an effective instrument. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we imitate him, we too must proclaim this gospel. It is amazing. How many believers may not know exactly what the gospel is? And I don't worry, I won't do it today. But if we went around the room and asked the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? We may get a lot of different answers that are kind of contextualized to how we see it. But very simply, this good news that, that God himself became us in order to save us through his death on the cross the shedding of his blood, and, and, and then giving the victory over death by rising again on the third day. We have this great news that God did that just for us, for humanity. He speaks of proclaiming liberty to the captives. The gospel brings liberty. If you are in any way, in any bondage in your life whatsoever, living the gospel, living that message brings liberty to your life. He speaks of the blind receiving sight. The gospel restores our spiritual sight. It restores our sight that was, that was taken away by the sin way back in the Garden of Eden. This good news, believing this gospel, restores our spiritual sight so that we can once again see God for who he is. And then recognize us for, recognize ourselves for who we are. He is the creator and we are the creatures. And so the gospel restores this proper sight. He speaks of liberty to those who are oppressed. This is one of the reasons why the gospel is so important to go into all the world. We have so much oppression still existing in our world today. The gospel gives hope of freedom and liberty. To those who are oppressed. He speaks of proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. And this is one that really, really resonates with me. Because I think about him speaking of this year of the Lord's favor. This year of jubilee. And when you think about the year of jubilee. One of the most important things in the year of jubilee. Was that in in the Jewish culture and tradition. In the year of jubilee all debts were forgiven. Now, there's some people out here saying, I need a year of Jubilee with Visa and MasterCard. (laughs) 
Discover, American Express, whatever your, whatever your poison is. Amen. I would love to have a year of Jubilee. Just, you know, right on your next bill. Hey, it's the year of Jubilee. <laughs> All debts are forgiven, right? <laughs> and we're like, no. <laughs> and so, but this year of Jubilee was important because it meant that God, or that God said, you just forgive all debts. And when Jesus came, it was, it became the year of Jubilee for everybody that believed the gospel. The debt of sin, the greatest debt we could ever owe is forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a praiseworthy moment right there. Watch this now. And so in order to imitate the incarnation of Christ, what what should we do? What should we as, as his followers be doing to imitate this incarnation? We know what this incarnation is. How should we imitate this incarnation? How should we follow after the example that he set? Well, there are three things I want to just deposit with you very quickly that we should do that set the tone for how we should follow the incarnation and the example that he set. The first thing is, we should love as he loves. We should love as he loves. And how does he love? Well, let's understand. First thing is, he loves the Father. So we must love the Father. In John 14, 30 and 31, we read these words. I will no longer, this is Jesus speaking. I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. It's, it's coming close to the time for him to be offered up as a sacrifice. He says, he has no claim on me, but I do as the father has commanded me. He says, so that the world may know that I love the father. How do we love the father? By being obedient to his commands. Jesus demonstrates his love for the father by saying that even though it's getting time for him to die and that the ruler of the world, Satan, wants this to happen, there is no claim upon him. He is simply doing as the father commanded and that everyone in the world then will know that he loves the Father. As we live our lives under the commands of God, people will know that we too love the Father. You know, you want your children to demonstrate to you how much they love you, they clean up their room when you tell them. <laughs> Amen. That's a, and, and young people, that's a sign of love. Believe me, it'll be better for you. If, if you do as your parents ask you to do all righteous things, you, you're able to, to re- reap the benefits of that love when you express that love through obedience. And so we love the father by our obedience to him. Now, the next thing in, in loving as he loved, we must demonstratively love all people and not just people who are like us. It's easy to love those that are like us. For the most part. But we have to love all people. God just didn't love the Jews. He loved the Gentiles. He loves everybody. And so if we want to love as he loved, we have to demonstratively love all people. We have to to show that love 
as we go forward. And how do we show it? Well, let's look at how God did. In, in John three sixteen. very familiar passage of scripture, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But look at that. He so loved the world that he gave the most precious thing that he had. How do we demonstrate our love for others? Give that what is precious. Be willing to be a sacrifice for others. And you will show that you love them. So we must demonstrate that love for all people. The other thing to love is he loved. We have to, we must love his church. We must love his church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, and again at verse 32, he says, or Paul writes, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In verse 32, he says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. I know it sounds what he's saying. I know it sounds like I'm talking about marriage, but what I'm really talking about is how Jesus loves the church. And and what he wants to do for that which he loves, the object of his affection. And so to love as he loves, we need to love the church. We need to love our brothers and sisters within the body of Christ. And we must be willing to do as he did, to give ourselves to his mission, to the mission of his church. And so we must do those things to love as he loved. Secondly... In order to imitate this incarnation, the incarnation of Jesus, we must live as he lived. To live as he lived. And the way that we do that, I think Paul lays this out in Philippians chapter 2 in a very good way. And we'll look at that. The first thing we have to do to live as he lived, we must esteem others greater than ourselves. There is no way... That Bethel Church goes to Hobart, to Cedar Lake, and to Gary if we do not esteem others greater than ourselves. Amen. Most comfortable thing we'd do would be stay right here on Broadway, Crown Point, and just, we're going to pray for them. But we have a different calling To remain just in prayer mode, we have to be in action mode. And that action mode says we have to take this gospel into all the world. And so we have to esteem others greater than ourselves in order to do that. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Now don't miss those two little words in humility. Because here's the danger for us. As a congregation, once we start, this stuff starts hitting the newspaper and we're going to Gary and church in Crown Point, going down to Gary, opening up a campus. How wonderful. And people start singing the praises of Bethel. We have to be careful. This is not about who Bethel is, but it's about who Jesus is. 
Am I happy to be a part of a church that has this mission? Absolutely I am. But I hold no illusions that it's not Bethel that gets to, should get the glory. All glory should go to God. So we have to be careful. We have to remain in a state of constant humility, giving God praise. When we look at what God has done, even with the building in Gary and with the, the future multi-site in Holbert Portage area, we have to think, we have to always remain in this state of humility, giving God praise for what he has done. So when people stop you on the street and say, hey, don't you go to Bethel? Well, you got a great church. They're doing great things. Tell them, thank you so much, but all praises to God. Amen. So we have to be, be humble. And then, and then he says, let each of you look not only your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we have to be, have this, this spirit of, of humility that comes over our lives. And, in, and that spirit of humility should translate into humble service. And that's what the next thing is in living as he lived. We have to become humble servants. In verse 5 of that same passage in Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Our challenge is to empty ourselves, to take on this form of a servant. It is much easier to be served than to be a servant. When I go to a restaurant and sit down, I don't want to get up and go in the kitchen and get my own food. I like them bringing it to me. And when you pay the bill, you're paying for that privilege of being served. But what is challenging is to put yourself in the place of that person that is serving you. Now, sure, they'd like to have a big fat tip from you. I know they would. But think about the fact that many people who work in that industry stand on their feet all day long and serve us. And sometimes we're not in the best of mood when we get there. And so put yourself in that position, being a humble servant to someone. And that's just a small example of what it means to serve. But emptying yourself, taking on the form of a servant, being he was being he was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Jesus was humble all the way to the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I would have been good until that first lash hit my back. And I'd have been thinking, I don't know if I can do this. But Jesus, in humility, took every stripe, wore the crown of thorns, experienced all of that pain and suffering for little old me and you. And so he was obedient and humble all the way to the point of death. The last thing that we want to think about today in terms of in imitating the incarnation is that our actions must reflect his purpose. What we do must reflect the purpose of God. 
The Apostle Paul shares with us a picture of his life, which provides a powerful example of imitating the incarnation of Christ. And I often wonder if Paul had had thought about or had heard or thought about what was written in Isaiah and what Jesus repeated on that day in the temple in Nazareth. Because when he says this, he's really grasping what it means to, to bring that mission of Christ into reality in his own life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Verse 19, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. And the purpose of that is that I might win more of them. So I become a servant for the purpose of winning. And you know this passage perhaps quite well. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself, not being myself under the law, but the purpose again that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. One of the condemnations that they had against Jesus was that he ate with sinners. How many of us are guilty of that? How many people could say, you, you are, you are guilty of eating with sinners? What a wonderful thought to imitate him because Jesus says, It's not the well that need a doctor. It's the sick. And so if you have your doctor credentials through the gospel, you're to take that medicine to those who need it the most. And so so Paul says that, that I became as one outside the law so I could win those outside the law. He says to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. And he says, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. What are we doing? Examine yourself today. What are you doing for the sake of the gospel? What does it mean to imitate the incarnation? To imitate the incarnation means that for the sake of the gospel, we leave our comfort as Jesus left his comfort and go to a place of discomfort for the sake of love. It means that for the sake of the gospel, as he became a servant, leaving the glory of heaven where he was served, to come to a place to be a servant, that we also become servants to those who are in need of salvation. It means for the sake of the gospel, as he left a place of eternal life to come to a world to die, we too give our lives to accomplish his mission that the world might be reconciled to God. To imitate the incarnation means that for the sake of the gospel, as God raised Jesus from the dead and gave him victory over death, 
that we too live, work, move, and breathe with the hope that we too shall share in this great victory over death and live with him for eternity. Our mission is clear. Not to just understand what the incarnation is, but to live that incarnation of Jesus every day in our lives. Let us pray together.